And we welcome you into Berea and the Dog Bowl. This is the best podcast available. Episode 3, counting you down to the 2020 NFL Draft, April 23rd through the 25th in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm Jason Gibbs, joined by Andrew Gribble each and every week. Coming up on today's show, uh, we'll talk a little top 10 at each position from Dane Brugler. Also, the great Matt Miller, one of the best NFL draft analysts around. He will join us live on the podcast, and we will uh, talk to him about the draft and what goes into a crazy seven-round mock draft that he does a couple times before the NFL draft. But even before the, even before the NFL Combine, it's pretty crazy putting together seven rounds. Yeah, you know, and I gained, after getting some insight on this, I gained some respect. I'll say that on the seven round mock. There, there's a pretty crazy story that he tells at the end of it, and yeah. it's it, the amount of work and detail that goes into it. If you think that they just throw names up against the wall in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds, you you would be mistaken. So, so I I view this because it's it sometimes get, it gets compared to like bracketology, like Joe Lenardi who puts out like a thousand of those projections leading up to the tournament and that has the last one going into it and it's usually always 100% right. It's different because one player can mess the whole thing up. Like one pick can just mess up everything. So for me, evaluating this the, these things at the end of the day is total players drafted and, and maybe yes. players matching the rounds. I think that's, that's a, a, a fair enough achievement, but uh, it'll be interesting to go back and, and do some scorekeeping on this one. Well, again, we are less than two weeks out from the NFL Combine. When we come to you from Indy in two weeks, uh, we'll be three, four days into this. So yeah. uh, it's a new format. It's a new system. It's going to be new for a lot of us in terms of how early the mornings go and how late the evenings go with a lot of the workouts being pushed to prime time. And over the past week, Andrew Barry, of course, back as the GM of the Cleveland Browns, and he and Kevin Stefanski meeting with their coaching staff, and meeting with the scouts, uh, everybody's been in town. It's been quite the busy week here around Berea. A lot of guys in, coming in and out of that draft room numerous times throughout the day. And uh, Gribble, you have an idea a little bit of what what goes into that and what they might be talking about. Yeah, you know, I think first off, the big shoe to drop uh, since we last taped is the officially naming Joe Woods defensive coordinator. I, I think that was something that you you really unfortunately just had to wait on, and yeah. and then and you get him in the building. Uh, and now he is kind of the final key piece in that as he puts the rest of his staff together, uh, that's where you start getting the internal evaluations of your own roster on how things are going to fit uh, within your scheme. Joe Woods told me last week they're going to stick with the 4-3. Uh, I think that that's very good news based on the personnel you have on hand. I don't As much as exciting as it might be, I don't know if anyone was, I don't, was were looking forward to Miles Garrett maybe playing a little linebacker, even though it worked for Von Miller uh, over in Denver. But so you're, you know you're sticking with the same scheme, uh, and now it's about evaluating who you have on hand, how they fit, contracts that are coming up. Uh, and as you mentioned, scouts more and more. Uh, I think today I started seeing faces that I definitely have not seen in this building for the last <laughs> six months. That The guys that are road scouts that live all over the country, sure. they're coming in, and, and now this is where they all get on the same page leading up to the combine. And I think a lot of that goes into uh, putting all their evaluations on the table, 
uh, cross-checking those evaluation, making cases for players, and then kind of devising your strategy going into the combine on what 60 guys or uh, however you're limited to, who are we talking to, what are we asking them, and, and getting all on the same page kind of in a hurry here uh, with, with everyone kind of coming on board here a couple weeks before the combine. Well, and I would say this too. I mean, the previous regime had their – way of going about business and how they evaluated players and what they were looking for, this group could be totally different. I mean, there could be parts that make sense and they, they, they carry over. There could be parts that have scouts doubling back going, you know what, maybe this guy doesn't fit what we're looking for now, but maybe X player does. So yeah. now I've got to go back and, and reanalyze and reevaluate that. So uh, there's a lot of work, as you said, that uh, is being done in earnest. Uh, in advance of the NFL Combine. Yeah, I wonder if with since it is Andrew Barry, there might might be the transition might be a little easier than it might have been if it was a brand new face because he was here doing his things with multiple GMs uh, with Sashi uh, and then John Dorsey, and a lot of these scouts have were also here for both of those guys. So I I wonder if how, how he does things. It'll be maybe a mesh of both. Maybe you go back to a way. Uh, you did things a couple GMs ago. I mean, we we obviously won't be behind the, those closed doors with those guys, but I, I do think this transition, all things considered, will be a little bit more smooth uh, than it could have been had you gone with a, just a totally fresh face. All right. That being said, here is the latest news around the NFL as we get ready for the 2020 NFL Draft. Uh, I had it down in our list of things, but I think we should start with it because it is going to impact – what happens in front of the Browns leading up to the draft, and it's the Chargers moving on from Phil Rivers and how this impacts things uh, over the coming months, both in free agency and in the draft. Yeah, I think it further solidifies that they're going to take a quarterback or they're in the market for one. Uh, and the the free agent class is just fascinating at this quarterback position with some of the names uh, that have been the bit that are poised to hit the market. A lot of them we don't think will. Uh, will maybe will eventually go back to their own teams, but. This kind of uh, adds some fuel to the fire that they could go with a quarterback at number six with a Justin Herbert, maybe a Jordan Love, or are they in the market to potentially trade up uh, to get someone like a Tua Tagovailoa? I mean, that, that they are now officially players in that scenario. Uh, I don't think that the Bengals are open for business on trading to to get get rid of Justin uh, get rid of Joe Burrow, but. Uh, we shall see. But it, again, it is as I, I noted in our mock draft roundup earlier this week. The more QBs that go ahead of the Browns, the better, because yes. the Browns aren't taking a quarterback at number ten. So uh, it, it could just move things down. I do think that the number, the magic number, is three. I, I think three quarterbacks are going to go uh, before the Browns pick at number ten. If it is four, which would mean Jordan Love maybe entering the mix, uh, that's even better news for the Browns and, and makes it more likely that you can get the guy that you want at, at number ten. Tua Tagovailoa, you mentioned him. Uh, he got his three-month CT scan on his fractured hip. Um, as positive as possible, revealing a healed hip per sources informed of the situation. The hip range of motion is good. It'll likely be another month before he is cleared for football activities. Uh, some of the spots that I've seen here this week have been pretty wide-ranging. Dolphins, Chargers, Jaguars, Panthers, even Patriots mentioned here. Um, any concern about him coming back here with this hip? I mean, I do. I, 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 I don't know I, how I there's much not do. more red flags. And I don't – and it's it really does surprise me that he is just a lock to everyone in the in the top part of this draft because I feel like quarterbacks in the past have been dinged for even less lesser injuries. And I, you, you go back to the injury concerns 
uh, with Josh Rosen, who turned out to have more concerns than just the injuries. But it, it just it, it does surprise me that this serious of an injury uh, is is just not really being overlooked. But the fact that he's kind of just locked in as maybe a number five pick and whether or not the Dolphins, if they really want him, have to trade up to a number three uh, to guarantee that they get him. So that, to me, speaks to the level of talent that he has and how he's viewed mostly from, first off, the accuracy standpoint, his character. I mean, he's one of the uh, everyone speaks so highly of his character. I think that shows how talented he is. And to me, if he was healthy, I think we'd be having a real discussion on it'd be Burrow versus Tua. I think that would be a real thing. Uh, but at the same time, whether or not you're picking him with the number one pick or the number five pick, that is your that is your guy that ch- changes the course of your franchise for years to come. So you better believe that these medicals are going to get scrutinized for the next couple months because even even though, the, say, the Dolphins make him the pick, he might as well to them be the number one pick in the draft. That's how it affects their franchise. So the next couple months will be interesting. Obviously, this is good news for him moving forward. The Browns should be rooting for for Tua to be a high draft pick uh, in this draft, and it'll just be interesting to see. I think the team that keeps getting linked to him the most is the Miami Dolphins, but there is the the weird undercurrent with the Detroit Lions, Like, and I think they're going to play the role where they could maybe show some interest in Tua to potentially drive a, a, a pretty big trade for a team to move up from maybe a five to a three or a six to a three to ensure that they get to it. Well, another team to watch there is the team right behind the Detroit Lions at number four. Dave Gettleman coming out this week and telling some of the members of the New York media, yeah, we might be open for business to trading back. He's never been one to trade back. And it looks like maybe it's maybe it's just chatter. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's a smoke screen, but boy, you know, you would think they have their quarterback in their eyes in Daniel Jones. Um, it, it, does this become another team that, and they're right in front of that Miami Dolphin team at number five, where, you know, if you want your guy, you got to come and get him because he's not going to be there. Yeah, and I, th- I think they should very much consider trading back because yeah. their needs match. Their, their needs are pretty similar to the Browns at this point, I'd say. I think they definitely could use a couple of tackles. And I think they're getting constantly linked to having their choice of the number one tackle on the board. But if they view these tackle prospects, which there's a lot of them, if they view a, a number of them as someone they'd be worth having, uh, then they should entertain the idea of moving back. I mean, I think that's that would just be prudent on their part. And, uh, you know, that that four spot is a pretty coveted par- point point in the draft. Uh, it, it's just a matter of what they're looking for. I mean, maybe if someone like an Okuda and they want a corner, slides down to them then they can't move sure I think that's that would be maybe the one player maybe they're really into Isaiah Simmons I mean that's someone maybe that they wouldn't feel comfortable moving down because they don't want to miss out uh, on getting them but the Giants have a lot of needs and I think that uh, especially when you have your quarterback locked in that's something you should entertain and I think Browns fans might not want to hear it but I think we're going to be having plenty of discussions here in the next couple months on this podcast about the possibilities of the Browns maybe uh, taking a couple steps back because this tackle class is so deep all right, so that's what's going on, the latest around the NFL uh, as, we, as it pertains to the 2020 NFL Draft. Coming up, uh, Dane Brugler's top 10 positional rankings. We'll talk a little bit about that, especially at offensive tackle and safety, two positions that I think will impact the Browns and two positions the Browns need to be looking at here as we approach the 2020 Draft. Time now for our interview of the week, and our interview spotlight is with the great NFL Draft analyst. 
Matt Miller from the Bleacher Report, kind enough to give us a few minutes of his time. A seven-round mock draft out now at BleacherReport.com. Have a listen. Happy to be joined on the hotline for episode three of the best podcast available uh, by draft analyst, draft guru, I'd like to call him. Matt Miller from the Bleacher Report joins us. And Matt, it's another year and another season of the NFL draft. We're counting down to Las Vegas. Who would have thought that back when you started this whole process and got involved in being a draft analyst? Oh my gosh! I know it's like you know, ten years. Uh, it is almost now for me. So it's been it's been a, a long road. I would have never thought we'd have the commissioner on a stage outside the Bellagio, you know, with the with boats taking prospects to the to the stage. But uh, it's been fun, and you know, it's good for guys like me who uh, make a living by covering the draft. It's it's great to see the the draft just continue to grow. I think they had half a million people in Nashville last year. I think Vegas is just going to one up it, and then and we'll see where it goes from there. Indeed. Yeah, Matt, uh, obviously the we, we've got gotten through one tentpole event in the draft calendar with the Senior Bowl. Big one coming up here in Indianapolis in a couple weeks with the NFL Combine. For you as as a guy that's putting out a lot of these mock drafts and talking to a lot of people, is the Combine maybe the one of the biggest events for you when it comes to maybe redrawing up your mock draft? And what are you looking for when you go down to Indianapolis? Yeah, you know, I always tell people the Senior Bowl is my favorite event just because you're actually watching football. I, I think with the – with the combine for me specifically, it's more like that's more when I'm networking, doing, you know, talking to scouts, GMs, agents, talking to sources to try to figure out, you know, okay, what is the lay of the land in this draft? You know, where, where do, where do you guys actually stack up? So you learn a lot more at the combine. Some of that's just timing too, because, you know, right now, especially after the senior bowl, before the combine, you got every team basically going back home and having their scout meetings mapping out their plans for free agency. What's the offseason going to look like? And then when we get to Indianapolis, you start to hear about those plans, and you can kind of start to figure out, you know, piecing together what things will look like. You know, because my job is half reporter, half analyst. And so you kind of have to be able to do both those things and say, okay, here's what I'm hearing versus what I'm seeing versus studying the trends of front offices to figure out what direction they're going to go. So there's there's a lot that goes into it that, that probably – it might not seem like it when you're just reading some dude on Twitter, but, but it is a pretty extensive job. And the combine is, it's a huge part of that because, you know, you get 337 players there, which gives you a pretty good look at the 256 guys who are going to get drafted. But also, you know, anyone who's anyone in terms of media, working for a team, being an agent, they're all going to be at two or three spots. So it makes it pretty easy to get caught up and, and do that reporting side of my job. Yeah, when you look at your first round of your mock draft and you look ahead to the combine, who among maybe some of your early first round picks has the most to gain at this at the combine and maybe the most to lose uh, coming up here? In well, a I think weeks? Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, Isaiah Simmons is, is you know one of the big gainers because I think he's just going to be you know athletically he's going to be a little bit different than everyone else that we see because you know to be six foot four, I I, I don't know he might weigh in at two forty he might he might cut weight to to weigh in lighter and run lighter. You know, he plays linebacker, he plays safety, he plays slot corner. He does a little bit of everything for that Clemson defense. And I think going back to even their win over Alabama in the national championship uh, over a year ago to then what he did this year, was one of the most dominant players in college football. So I think with Simmons, sometimes we get caught in the, you know, safeties and linebackers don't usually come off the board very early, usually not in the top five picks. And I think with Simmons, it's kind of that, okay, could he be different? Could he be the guy that, you know, goes earlier than Jamal Adams, that goes earlier than you know, Devin White, 
that causes a team like the the New York Giants to consider him a force. So I think Simmons is an interesting one. You know, for you guys, uh, you know, locally, they're covering the team. I, I think the offensive tackle group is really interesting with some guys who have a chance to win or lose. And I, I hate to use that, you know, that even terminology because like, how do you lose a workout? But I, I think for all the offensive linemen, we got to wait and see. You know, arm length is going to be huge for guys like Tristan Wirfs, like Andrew Thomas. Uh, I think even when you, you know, start to look at Jedrick Wills, who is my top pack on this class, what's he actually going to measure in at? Because, I mean, as you all know, the difference between being a left tackle in the NFL and being a guard prospect is sometimes one-inch arm length. And so I think for those guys, we, we talk about this offensive tackle class. Of, you know, there's four or five dudes who go in the first round, but poor measurements or even just measurements under the, you know, under the, the threshold that you normally put on the position – we could be talking about a couple of these guys now being looked at as guard prospects instead of tackles, which would have a gigantic uh, domino effect on how the, the first 15 picks in the draft look. Talking with Matt Miller, NFL draft analyst from the Bleacher Report here on the best podcast available with Gibbs and Gribbs. Talking tackles, Matt, is there one or two that you're interested to see how they pan out here at this NFL combine, whether you mentioned it, whether they start to have conversations about transitioning to guard, or is there a guy that you're just looking forward to seeing that maybe has some questions and hopefully you'll have some answers one way or the other, what type of player they're going to be after that week. Yeah. You know, I think the biggest riser uh, is Makai Becton and we can all thank Daniel Jeremiah for that because while we were at the senior bowl, he dropped the mock draft and has Becton at number four overall. And I think that sh- that surprised everybody. It, it caught me off guard. I felt like I was behind the ball on Becton anyway, just trying to evaluate him. So that I, I want to see Becton. And I know that a guy like that who's six, seven, like three sixty, is probably going to, you know, test really well just looking at his tape. So you want to see that, you know, see a guy like that. How well does he move in person? What's his agility like? But I feel like with the combine, you always have to keep it in the back of your mind that these are just workouts. You know, it, it doesn't, it's not the end-all, be-all. And we all can, you know, fall prey to like a recency bias of, oh, my God, did you see how great, you know, Josh Jones from Houston looked in agility drills. But then it, it's always one of those things you got to go back and check the tape because, you know, with Beckton, can he get his hands on people? With Josh Jones, can he handle power? And so I think there's a, a, just a natural instinct to overrate what we're seeing in front of us. And so I think with the tackles, you know, whether it's Josh Jones, who, you know, had a great senior bowl week, was coming from a non-Power 5 school at Houston, just wanting to see him move with the rest of the group. You know, we didn't get a chance to see Wills, Thomas, Werfs, because they were juniors, so they weren't at the senior bowl. Becton, another junior, didn't get to see him at the senior bowl. So I think those are the guys where a lot of times the way I was taught to evaluate, you use the tape to stack your board, then you use the senior bowl to inform you about players, and a lot of times for me, the combine becomes a tiebreaker. So, if, you know, like right now I have Worfs and Thomas really closely graded together. Combine is going to help me see things like hip movement, you know, overall athleticism, reactive speed, quickness, the types of uh, traits that you dig into more on a positional level. I think that's where the combine can be really helpful. All right, Matt, I have a two-part question kind of involving these tackles, so bear with me for a second. First part of the question is, at number 10, are the Browns in a position – where it's a can't lose position with the tackles available and the team needs that they're at 10, if they want a left tackle, they're going to get one that they feel good about. And secondly, are there any players in your top 10 that if they somehow become available at number 10, the Browns have to get those guys, even if they're not tackles. 
you know, I, I don't think there's a player, uh, you know, outside of Chase Young, which <laughs> is not going to happen, where the Browns would have to be like, okay, let's scrap the plan. You know, I actually think it, it panned out really well this year because there are, uh, there's a consensus that there are four tackles who would be worthy of a top 15 selection. So I think that bodes well for Cleveland. And, and the other side of this is you guys have your quarterback, which is a great place to be in. There are a lot of teams that don't. And so I think you're rooting for the Chargers to draft the quarterback. You're rooting for the Panthers to draft the quarterback and, and push more of those offensive tackle prospects down because we know that Jeff Okuda from Ohio State is going to be gone. We know that Chase Young is going to be gone. Isaiah Simmons is probably going to be gone. So I, I think it, it does look good to where you, uh, to the first part of your question, yeah, I think you could feel really good about whichever tackle prospect is available at 10. And, and much like last year when Jonah Williams went to the Cincinnati Bengals, there was a lot of conversation of, oh, is he, a, is he a tackle? Is he a guard? And the Bengals said he was a tackle for three years in SEC. We feel like he could play tackle in the AFC North. I, I think we got a lot of guys like that this year. With you know, Andrew Thomas is probably being overthought a little bit. Played left tackle at Georgia. You know, Tristan Wirth playing right tackle at Iowa, but definitely has the quickness and, and the movement skills to come over and play left tackle. So, and And on top of that, you want to put your best five offensive linemen out on the field. So even if it's not, you know, okay, we're going to get a left tackle, you can definitely improve the offensive line in the first round. Matt, I would say the consensus is that three quarterbacks are going to go in the in the top ten. Uh, some have have gone as high as four. Is four about the max? You could see uh, quarterbacks coming off the board in those first nine picks. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. You know, this is the first year that I've been doing this where free agency is really going to have a major impact on on how the quarterbacks come off the board uh you know a couple years ago Kirk Cousins was a free agent and we all thought okay well if he goes to the Jets that's going to throw things off uh but he goes to Minnesota who wasn't picking early anyway so I think this year is different where you know if Philip Rivers goes to Tampa you know or Indianapolis that's going to affect things but I I think you feel really good that Cincinnati's going to take one feel really good that Miami's going to take one I would say the same about the Chargers so you have three there the Panthers at seven are definitely a wild card and, you know, I would say this hasn't been talked about enough. I know the Jaguars owner came out and said, you know, we got we had two quarterbacks. That's a great place to be in. I don't know how they feel about those two quarterbacks as long term building blocks. I mean, when Nick Foles gets benched for an undrafted free agent, it's probably not not the or excuse me, a sixth round pick. That's not really the spot you want to be in. So I even think the Jaguars and nine are a team that they could fall in love with somebody and, and pull the trigger there. So I think three is expected. And four wouldn't be a surprise. And, again, that's great news for the Cleveland Browns if that happens. All right, Matt Miller joins us from the Bleacher Report. We've talked tackle. What are two of the other positions in this draft that are deep, that teams, if they don't go with a guy in the first round, it's not going to hurt them because there's going to be guys available on day two and even into day three that can potentially be starters right away? Well, yeah, I think the the depth this year at wide receiver is crazy, crazy good. Um, again, you guys are, are pretty good at that position. I think one sneaky deep spot is linebacker, which uh, Joe Schober, obviously a free agent, so we'll see what happens there. But I think linebacker is a spot where we talk so much about Isaiah Simmons, and he's a great player. Uh, he might be more of a hybrid guy. You know, after him, you get into Patrick Queen and Kenneth Murray, who it will probably both be first-round picks, but we've seen crazier things happen with linebackers where they might slip a little bit. But then after that, it's a good group. Zach Bond from Wisconsin, who's incredibly versatile. Jordan Brooks, Texas Tech. Malik Harrison from Ohio State. So I think the linebacker group honestly goes like seven or eight deep where you feel like you could get a pretty good starter. So not just, oh, we got to get a guy in the top ten. I think a linebacker, you can go 
deeper in this draft. The same goes for tight end. You know, the Cole Komet from Notre Dame is kind of the odds-on favorite to be the first pick, but you, you talk to enough people around the league, you get a lot of different opinions on who the best tight end in this class is, and that's, that's great because that, that means there's a lot of versatility in this class and that there's a lot of good players, whether it's Komet or Adam Trotman from uh, Dayton or Hunter Bryant from Washington. There's, you know, Pinckney uh, from Vanderbilt. There's so many good players in this class at, at tight end, and at, at Hopkins at Purdue is another where there might be five or six tight ends that everyone's going to stack differently. Some of that's going to be based on scheme fit, but I think tight end is one another one of those groups where we don't always see a ton of production from rookie tight ends, but this year's group is, is really, really deep. There's no TJ Hawkinson who's going to be a top 10 pick, but it, it's very, very deep when you start to dig into the whole group. Now, Matt, I, I I could be wrong about this, but I I feel like you've been the first guy out there that's been doing seven round mocks for the longest time. Do you, do you feel confident in that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've been doing it a long time. I, I don't want to leave anyone out. I, I think I guess you know from a national you know perspective, uh, you know I, I don't see my guy Daniel Jeremiah or Todd McShay doing seven rounders, uh, which I know they're happy about. So uh, yeah, I think that I think that's safe to say. Can, can you walk me through the process on on how? It comes together because it just seems like a, oh a gargantuan feat that, you know, at, at some point you're just throwing names out. I would have to imagine, right? You would think, but no, because I'm <laughs> so almost OCD about things. And so, like, I mean, I got into this because I'm a football fan. You know, I grew up a 49ers fan and I loved the draft. I lived and died with it. So I think about that. When I'm writing a seven round mock draft, when I'm at pick 250, I want to make sure the Cleveland Browns fans don't think I'm mailing it in. You know, and, and you, you feel that way for all 32 teams. So I am an incredibly organized human being. I keep uh, a Google spreadsheet that if anyone ever hacked it, they would know every thought I've ever had about a, a football team or a player. But, it you know, it has team needs, not just for this year, but for next year and the year after that and, and free agent outlook and try to keep track of even, you know, if there's a team that's had a GM there for a long time, like Pittsburgh or, or like Baltimore, where you start to get a feel for some of their trends and, you know, I have a tab in this spreadsheet for rumors that I hear, you know, rumors from agents, rumors from scouts, rumors from players, just to try to piece it all together. So it's more like taking a huge puzzle and putting it together, you know, and you have a lot of different kinds of pieces in there, whether it's information or, you know, being able to speculate about free agency, salary cap moves, uh, scheme fit. So it's, it might seem like, okay, in round seven, you're just making names up and throwing them on the board, but it's really not that way. The one I did right after the Super Bowl, uh, I was at the Senior Bowl, obviously, and then took a couple days off. I drove to Daytona Beach, Florida, and, and took two days and just worked on this mock draft. And I thought I had a really good groove going. I, I thought I was, you know, like, I think I was three rounds in and made one pick for a team that I didn't like. So I deleted the whole dang thing and started over. So it's, it is like a labor of love. I know, I know some of my colleagues. Say, man, if it takes more than 10 minutes to do a mock draft, you're overthinking it. But that seven-rounder will take me a full day to plot out the picks and then a, a couple days to write the analysis for each pick because I'm not just going to throw a line in there. You know, hey, the Browns need a left tackle. They're going to take the best one available. Try to get people a little bit more than that. Do you ever have a moment you've looked back on where you absolutely nailed some of these late-round picks and, and felt pretty good about it? Or did, have you ever tracked the highest amount, highest hit rate from, from one of these? I haven't because it's just so early, you know, with free agency is going to change everything. And what I, I tell people about mock drafts is I think being good at mock drafts is almost a lot of luck. If you, you know, if in late April 
you know, if you hit on a pick, it's either because someone told you it was going to happen or you got a little bit lucky. You know, the year that you guys took Baker first, everyone was saying Sam Darnold until Thursday morning. Well, I have to hand my mock draft in Monday afternoon. So it's like, okay, well, you missed that one just because of, of timeline. So, um, you know, I think there have been other times where, you know, you feel like a player is a really good fit to a team. When that pick happens, you know, you're usually pretty excited about it. But but otherwise, you know, I, I put a little bit more value in my big board and, and how I actually view players as opposed to predicting what's going to happen in a, a mock draft without any trades. Matt, we appreciate the time, man. Always great to have you on. Great to have you back. You can check out Matt's seven-round post-Super Bowl mock draft on BleacherReport.com. Also, uh, a great podcast. I want to make sure that you get a chance to promote your podcast and how often you guys do that. Yeah, stick to football, um, which was supposed to be ironic, and now actually all we do is talk about football. You know, originally it was like, I'm going to talk about barbecue and beer and all these other things I care about. And, nope, it's just football now. Three times a week, Monday morning, Wednesday morning, and Friday morning. Uh, we do it, And we do it year-round. So it's a, a lot right now, a lot of drafts, obviously, but cover NFL, college football. So if you are you know, as football-addicted as the rest of us, uh, I think it's, it's a very lighthearted, laid-back. Uh, we try to have fun and be entertaining, but also – you know, breaking down everything that's kind of going on in the world of football. Uh, we appreciate it. You can also follow him on Twitter at NFL Draft Scout. Matt, appreciate the time. Best wishes. And we will see you in two weeks in Indianapolis. You bet, guys. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Again, thanks to Matt Miller from the Bleacher Report, one of the best in the business, especially when it comes to breaking down the entire draft. And, and I mean, there are plenty of experts that do the first round, first couple rounds. Not many do seven rounds. Pretty impressive uh, as to the amount of work that goes into it. I can't believe he talked about that he had three rounds done and then didn't like one pick and scrap the whole thing. Yeah, I, I kind of picture him when he holds up in that, that hotel, uh, like the, the meme from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with, with Charlie, just all the numbers <laughs> flying around. and I, It's just there's a method to the madness, and I think there's a lot of – uh, a lot of people who fancy themselves as draft gurus and kind of just throw up these mock drafts. I know when we do our mock drafts, I spend roughly 13 minutes on them. So the fact yeah. it's good to know that there are people kind of living and dying with each one of these picks that they put out there. And uh, I think that's why he's kind of reached the level he has and, and why he's as respected as he has. Yeah, definitely. Any other takeaways from him? I mean, a lot of good inf- information, especially on the tackles. I love Simmons. I just – I can't see a scenario where he's there at 10, but um, some good information. Yeah, I, I thought the the question where I asked him if there was a player that you just would have to take at 10 that's not a tackle, uh, and I, I think it's interesting that he didn't mention Simmons. I think that Chase Young was his only one that if he somehow got to number 10, you have to grab him. So that to me is indicative, one, that Simmons is really good but might not be the uh, an elite, elite prospect that you might think of, and two, I think it just – further exemplifies the Browns needs at tackle that you really just can't avoid the position and there might just be a drop off between this cluster of guys in the first round and whoever you could possibly get in the second round and I I think like he said free agency could change all of this stuff but I mean I just don't see a free agent out there that could maybe totally change your beliefs on the tackle uh, need on this team right now there's just you, you might get a rental that you could plug in for a year or two but you really have to think of the long term Uh, of this position because it's one of the most important positions on the field and the Browns have needs at both sides yeah no question and I think if you're going to go out and get a guy in free agency maybe it's more depth related 
just to yeah, give you more I mean, depth there, on that There's one. guys like a, a Bulaga, a Costanzo, if he even wants to play football this year. Where if I, and if I think he does, he's probably going to stay in Indianapolis. Sure. So there's just, you know, there's not a, a sure thing. I mean, there's a guy, if you're looking for risers, the, the, the sweet spot in free agency, you're taking some gambles. I mean, a DJ Humphreys over in Arizona has had one, one kind of okay season in his career so far, but he's one of the best tackle prospects out there. And we'll see what happens with Jack Conklin, but I just can't see – the Titans letting him walk. So it, it's just a lot of guys that you really can't imagine are sure things. And your own guy, Greg Robinson, is probably one of the top tackle free agents out there. I yeah. mean, it's it, it's just a, it's a tough position to be looking for in free agency. And this kind of class of tackles is not an every year thing. You, you, we've, we've gone through years where there isn't a single tackle worth a first round pick. Now you've got about four or five that could be in the top 15. All right. Speaking of tackles, Dane Brugler with his top 10 positional rankings, great friend of the program, and we'll be doing some stuff with him as we get closer to the draft, and we'll be doing some things with him at the NFL Combine as well. Dane Brugler with his top 10 positional rankings on theathletic.com. And let's start things off uh, at offensive tackle, and this is uh, the top six. You know, everybody, we've seen Tristan Wirfs. We've seen Andrew Thomas. We've... You know, Isaiah Wilson, uh, he's got Becton outside of the top six at number seven. But number one, Jedrick Willis, Jr., from Alabama, 6'5", 322. His comments, while most have Wirfs or Thomas as offensive tackle number one, Willis is the best tackle prospect I have evaluated in this class. He's explosive through his hips with the wide lower body movements to mirror in-pass protection and the upper body power to steamroll defenders in the run game. While he needs some fine-tuning, Willis has all the talent and upside to be a top-five pick in this draft. Surprised by that? No, not necessarily, but I'll I'll throw out a couple things. And, and this one – if the Browns were a team that just needed a left tackle, this is one you'd think about because Wills played on the right side at Alabama because Tua is left-handed. So he basically was the blindside blocker, but if you were drafting him to be your left tackle, you'd have to do, work with all the footwork, introducing him into a new position. And to some Browns fans, that might not be a palatable thing. You you want the If you're picking a tackle in the first round, you want to be able to plug and play and not have to worry about it. So that would be one thing, one thing to raise uh, – maybe concerned with but the Browns aren't that kind of team they could they could draft a Jedrick Wills and just put him on at right tackle where he's comfortable with uh and figure out who your left tackle is moving forward because I think this the right tackle has become more and more important as position as, as the game has developed uh, and it would be great to have a guy like that you could just plop in and, and he's good to go the second thing that interests me though with Wills is that Nick Saban uh leading up to the the the, the Citrus Bowl he made a comment that said only one of his players got a top 15 grade in the entire draft. And his follow-up was, Andy's hurt. So that would lead you to believe that that was Tua. So to me, does that tell me that the NFL doesn't think as highly of Wills as some of the draft analysts do because he didn't get a top 15 grade uh, coming back? So he's an interesting one and, and someone who I've seen so much fluctuation with. You've seen him go as high as number four, someone is 15, but I, I think he's a really good player and it just shows we're, we're uh, picking nits with, with, with this kind of tackle uh, in any other year. He might be the lock at number one, but there there's a lot of arguments for some of the other guys as well. Surprise Becton fell to number seven. I, I guess, but I, I, I'd be honest a, a month ago, I'd never heard of Makai Becton. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I think that this so is maybe someone, he's coming back to earth. you know, as Matt mentioned in the last segment that Daniel Jeremiah really got this guy's momentum going. I think he's a physical freak. 
and the combine for any one of these tackles is going to be most important uh, for Becton, kind of just to see where the athleticism at, see where he's ready to go. Uh, I did read one uh, analysis of him that he could potentially, if he's not ready to be a tackle in the NFL in the first year, could play guard for you, which, again, that's not very palatable to me, even though the Browns could be in the need for a right guard as well. If I'm picking a tackle at number 10, I want to be able to play him a tackle in year one. All right, taking a look at some of the other positions that he has. Uh, safety, uh, in terms of his top six, uh, Delpit from LSU, McKinney from Alabama, Davis from Cal, um, Burgess from Utah, Antoine Winfield Jr. from Minnesota, Kyle Duger um, from – Big Senior Bowl. Yeah, exactly, Big Senior Bowl. Uh, Lenore Ryan, do I have that right? Yeah. Okay, good. Carolina. So I've got that going for me. Uh, top six safeties. I I do like Winfield, yeah. I, and that's why I included him in our, in our top six because I'm like, I, I don't know. There's just something about him. He's around the ball. He makes plays, and I that's what you need from a safety. And football in the blood. I mean, obviously, he's shown that. I mean, obviously, Dad played at Ohio State, played in the NFL, had a nice career as well. So sure. That that raises the excitement. Delpit is interesting to me because. He, it's almost like this is the second straight year LSU's had a defensive back that came into the season with a huge amount of hype, and then their performance kind of didn't match it, and now they're sliding in projections. Obviously, the Browns took the guy last year in Greedy Williams, who entered the, this, who maybe at this stage of the draft process was maybe a top 10 pick for a lot of teams, and then all of a sudden the Browns slide down, get him in the middle of the second round because of some concerns with how he played in his junior season. I say all this. Grant Delpit won the Thorpe Award as the best defensive back in college football, but he had some issues. He had some issues that maybe weren't uh, as scrutinized the previous year. I think tackling was was kind of an issue uh, with Delpit, but he could be a legit kind of center field safety that this defense uh, could need if you don't bring back Demarius Randall. I will say with the safety position, the names to watch to me that are more important are McKinney, Davis, and, and Duggar because. Uh, we we seem to think most of us seem to think the Browns aren't going to take a safety with that first round pick, and also free agency is much more opportunistic with getting a safety on this team. Sure. If you want to spend the big money, you can get a Justin Simmons out of Denver, uh, an Anthony Harris out of Minnesota, who clearly uh, there's some connections there uh, with this coaching staff. Had a huge season. He's going to get rewarded for it. Uh, so there's a lot more options to fortify your safety position. Uh, you've got a coach in Jeff Howard who did a lot of good work with Anthony Harris, who has worked consistently with Pro Bowler Harrison Smith uh, in Minnesota. So it, it, to me, it's all going to come down to evaluation. Like what is the kind of safety or safeties that this defense needs? Uh, and that's something we'll learn over the course of the next few months with Joe Woods, uh, Jeff Howard, and, and what they value uh, in the position, you look back, Harrison Smith was a high pick in the draft. This guy's been a, a, a solid player all year. I mean, that's the kind of player you want on your defense. Uh, and I think the Browns just have so many needs at that position right now. It's just not as highly as coveted as tackle because tackle's just more money, more you need more value out of the position. But your only guaranteed guy, as we've said before, your only guaranteed safety coming back is Shelter Gardwine. Yep. And so that that's that's a position that you need to address. You might be able to re-sign a Justin Burris. Maybe you go up, bring back Demarius Randall. Maybe Morgan Burnett's ready to go uh, after his Achilles surgery. But just a lot of question marks at that position. And uh, some uh, you can clearly uh, get better by drafting some of these guys. 
All right. Any final thoughts on Dane's stuff? Obviously, we'll talk to him a little bit more once we get to Indy here in, in a couple of weeks. But uh, starting to see some of the guys putting out their top ten at each position. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just say that, that Dane – and, and and Matt Miller and all these guys, they do all the work that makes us able to talk about yes. this stuff. And I, I appreciate these position rankings. I mean, this is the this is the the the, the encyclopedia that I'm using for the next couple of of months, getting ready. And, and these guys do a great job with it. Yeah, indeed. All right, that's going to wrap up this week's edition of the BPA. Episode three is in the books. One week closer to the NFL Combine coming up next week. Our Combine preview. Uh, as we'll get you ready for our trip to Indianapolis and all the bells and whistles that come with that next step in the draft process. We want to thank Jeff McDaniel, Ricky Sawinski, Paul Taylor for all their help behind the scenes. Want to thank Matt Miller. Gribs, always a pleasure, my friends. Always, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you next week. You can subscribe and listen to any of these podcasts. Log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Search for best podcast available. For Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. This has been the best podcast available.